Welcome to the Don't Live Stuck podcast, where we believe every person should constantly question the direction they are going and redirect if necessary. It's your life, so live it. Here is your host, Leo Rodriguez. Why is this man so serious? Let me do it. Here's your host, my daddy. Hello, hello to all of our listeners. Uh, Welcome to the show today. I'm excited about this particular episode. Our guest today, Martha Phillips, is an incredible story that we, incredible person with an amazing story that we can all benefit from and learn a ton. I'm excited for this one, as I'm sure a lot of people out there who have already sent me questions and keep asking me when this episode was coming. So without any more interruptions for me martha how you doing i'm good how are you good good i'm so happy that finally we were able to get you on the show um since our very first conversation uh, messaging back and forth uh people knew that this interview was coming and they honestly kept asking me when it was coming and they kept throwing questions at me that they would like to hear you answer um so for those of you that uh don't know about her story. Martha went through a really hard time with uh, dealing with infertility, and her story is just amazing. So, Martha, um, can you tell us a little bit about you, your story, uh, how you met your husband, and um, how everything got started? Yeah. So, um, I guess starting from like all the way to the beginning, we met on a blind date and, um, I was actually 17 and had literally just graduated, um, high school and was definitely not looking for a husband, just wanted to go on like a fun blind date with a college guy and never talk to him again. Oh, nice. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, um, anyways, we met and we literally could not stop talking to each other. And, um, I was living in Canada and he was living, um, in Colorado at the time. And so we both, um, we met on our blind date in Idaho and then both went back home and continued to, um, Skype for probably a couple hours every single day and then um we went on our second date like four or five months later and um then continued to date for 14 months and then got married so nice just kind of fate I guess I was supposed to go on a blind date with his roommate and his roommate bailed and he came instead (laughs) so I was very I was very grateful his roommate bailed (laughs) cool so much for going on a date and not seeing the guy again huh I know right now I get to see him every day (laughs) yeah yeah I'm sure that's the kind of day all of us guys wish for you know the date with a girl and then her not wanting to see you again perfect Uh, (laughs) so uh, before we get into the questions about your uh, special story that you're going to share with us about how you faced all the difficulties of infertility and uh, miscarriages and all the challenges that come with that, let me just say that I am shocked 
of uh, by the amount of people that knew about this interview and sent me questions, but did it almost asking me to keep it private. I mean, it's almost like like they didn't want people to know. Like um, I don't know if they were embarrassed or I I, I don't know what what has what it has to do with people knowing that they're struggling with this and i hope that you can definitely um take us through that journey of someone that goes through it but it was just shocking for me that all of their questions came in either through text or private message and almost telling me like okay you can ask it but just don't say i told you to ask and that kind of that kind of thing so i don't know i never thought this topic would be so touchy i guess it is for a lot of people um yeah so uh, tell us how how that story, that part of your life started to happen with your with with the difficulties in your pregnancies. Okay, well, just to touch on that for a second, um, yeah, I would say the majority of people keep their infertility um, pretty like close to the vest, and um, you know, I'm such an open person about everything, and so for me. I I do understand a little bit of that because sometimes it would get overwhelming sharing with people. Um, but for me, it was very healing letting my family and friends know what was going on. Okay. Um, and then I obviously took it to the next step and was vocal on social media because because there was so many people that messaged me telling me like, hey, I've had miscarriages or we've been doing IVF and not even my own mother knows which like broke wow. my heart. And so people would, I had people write me letters thanking me for sharing. And so I felt like that was part of my journey was to share for all the people that weren't able to be vocal about it. Yeah. They could at least read my story and feel a little less alone. Wow. So, um, sorry, your question was how did our fertility stuff all start, right? Yes, because just so our listeners know, you do have a beautiful daughter. Um, yeah. And so did this happen after you gave birth to her or did it happen before or how, how did it start? Um, a very short portion of it started before we had her, but the majority of the trials were after we already had our daughter. So we decided that we wanted to have a family. I felt um, felt like I wanted to start sooner than we had originally planned. And after eight months, we got pregnant and um, I made it to six weeks and told my family um, while I was visiting them without my husband. And I was having a lot of cramping one day and um, ended up losing the baby within a couple hours. And that was, I had my mom actually call my husband because I was like, I don't like, I literally couldn't get the words out of my mouth. I'm like, how am I supposed to call my husband and tell him that, you know, I left pregnant and I was coming home, not pregnant. Um, And so, and my mom has had a couple of miscarriages and so she was a really good comfort to me and still is to this day. And so that was, I mean, our first miscarriage was in 2012. Um, 
And so we we kept trying to have another baby. And um, nine months later, we were able to get pregnant again. Um, in between that, we started seeing a fertility specialist and just trying um, to kind of narrow down. I was in um, a lot of chronic um, pain and we couldn't really figure out where it was coming from. I had like two doctors kind of freak me out about it and then they couldn't find anything. And, um, it was just kind of this mystery. And so I actually ended up needing, um, narcotics every day just to get through the day because I was in so much pain. And so, um, I was going in for exploratory surgery at the hospital and, um, they were about to wheel me back to like the OR and they were going to put me under and the nurse ran in and yelled that I was pregnant. (laughs) which was like a little, it was like, it was just felt so dramatic yeah, because like it. Um, it was just like so last minute before my surgery. And so um, we found out we were pregnant and um, they monitored me a little bit at the beginning and then said I was good to go. And um, the pregnancy went smoothly and we had our daughter um, and then when she was nine months old, we we knew that it would take a little bit longer. We had suspected that I had some fertility issues, and we just didn't know what yet. Let, let me um, let me ask you something real quick. So, yeah, after you had your first miscarriage, and then you find out you're pregnant again, was there uh, nervousness from your part, your husband, wondering if this time it was going to work? Um, how how did that feel emotionally and mentally for someone who had just experienced a miscarriage? Yeah, of course. We were very nervous. I, um, and my husband was actually, um, doing a job in Texas while I was living in Utah. And so I was living alone. Um, and I would call him crying at night all the time because I was having like cramping or pains in my stomach. And I, he would just sit on the phone with me while I bawled until I fell asleep because I was so, so worried that, um, that I was going to miscarry again. Um, but once, once we kind of made it, um, you know, well past the first trimester and then you get that 20 week ultrasound where they say like, everything's good. Um, I feel like those nerves, kind of went away um but I was definitely a paranoid pregnant person (laughs) yeah I I would imagine so baby comes everybody's happy and yeah and then you go for the second pregnancy yeah so at nine at nine months we decided that we would start trying again um and at the very beginning it was kind of almost like okay, we're not pregnant. Like I was a little bit happy because I still had a nine month old and (laughs) I I didn't feel totally ready to do it all over again. But I knew, I just knew that we needed to to be trying. And so um, I ended up getting pregnant four or five months later and we were ecstatic. Um, My daughter was 
one, she was over one, and um, then I miscarried again. Um, and so, and we had actually met with, with my fertility specialist when May was, right when she turned one, May's my daughter. Um, mm-hmm. Because we just wanted to say like, hey, we're trying again. Um, we just wanted to let you guys know we're going to try you know, for such amount of time. And then, you know, if it's not working, we'll, um, have you guys help again and try and figure out what's going on. And so, um, so we did end up getting pregnant and then we miscarried and then I'm, was it about six weeks again or how? um, This one was like four and a half weeks. So it was really quick. Okay. Um, I mean, by the time we found out we were pregnant and got excited, it was like within a week it was over. Oh, wow. Um, and um, those first two miscarriages just happened at home on their own. And so um, then we continued to try, and we didn't get pregnant for a while. And so we started... Um, you know, just getting some basic tests run with the fertility clinic and um, trying to like narrow down our options. And I believe I started Femera for a little bit, which is um, most most people are more familiar with Clomid. Um, and Clomid and Femera are similar. They basically just help you ovulate um, and they're mm-hmm. supposed to increase your chances of getting pregnant. So, so- we did that for... No, I, I was just gonna ask uh, for for those of us who haven't gotten much information on the subject. Is this something that, um, for example, your insurance takes care of, or is this something that you have to figure out how to pay for this kind of treatment? Um, how does that work? So it depends what you're doing, and obviously it depends on your insurance. We had we had good insurance but it was like good basic insurance and so um those doctor's appointments those were all covered under our insurance um and I'm not I can't remember if the mayor was insured or not but you you take like I think you only take seven pills and it's like maybe 10 bucks so um it's it's a it's a very um cheap accessible drug for people that are struggling to get pregnant Um, and the doctor's appointments are about the same as if you were to like go see a doctor they're just more frequent so it just depends if your insurance covers that or not but ours at the time did later on down our journey when we switch insurance they didn't but at this time our insurance was covering it which was great that's that is good so the first one you said your first miscarriage happened in 2012 and Mm -hmm. when was the second one around 13 14 um it would be 2014 2014 yeah and then the subsequent years you would have uh three more if i remember correctly yes three more okay let me 
ask you some of the things that because they they relate to the point of the conversation we're in some of the things that people wanted me to ask you yeah um so you go through the first one you go through the second one at any point did you and your husband just said okay look it seems that we can't get pregnant so let's just stop and if so did you consider adoption what what was the conversation like when when after your third miscarriage for example what what things went through your head at that point so um so at the the point of the story that we're at i've had my second miscarriage which mm -hmm. was very different than after our third but at our second we i don't think we really ever entertained the idea of not not continuing to try um, um you know we definitely questioned is this going to be possible but we were both on the same page of like trying to find out at this point um that definitely changed later on but at this point in the story we were both like okay wow this is hard but like we're gonna find we're gonna figure out answers and keep yeah. going mm -hmm. so so we're we're both of you on board when when let's say when when the fourth one happened for example and were both of you on board with let's keep trying or that finally one of you maybe suggested, okay, let's just stop and, and leave it at this or let's try to adopt or did ever any of those thoughts went through your mind? Yeah, definitely. Um, after we had gone through four was a really, it was a really hard time. Um, we actually did meet with an adoption counselor and um, we had started researching um, different options in our area for adopting and um, talking to other adoptive mothers, trying to figure out like the best way to try and find, um, find a birth mom. And um, we definitely went down that road and we had given ourselves like, okay, if we're still not pregnant by like this date, then, then we'll adopt. Um, but after meeting with the adoption counselor, um, me and my husband both got in the car and it was kind of just that unanimous, like, okay, we, we both didn't feel like it was right at the moment. We both felt like adoption was amazing And um, even now we talk about like maybe one day we'll have the opportunity to adopt or mm -hmm. um, or take a child out of a terrible home if needed and be able to raise them. And we feel really passionate about being able to help those kids that um, didn't have the opportunity to be born into a loving home. Yeah. And so we definitely still have that in our mind for um, later on in our life. But at the time, we we didn't feel like it was the road we needed to go down then. Um, and my husband was getting to the point where he was feeling kind of reluctant towards doing more fertility treatments 
as well. Um, and I, I was determined. It was almost like this thing that I started and I, I like couldn't bear to stop until I like figured out a reason or a solution or like got some sort of closure. And so I was like full steam ahead and my husband was more like, okay, let's put the brakes on this. And you know, that's something that we had to talk about a lot, a lot, a lot of nights talking about, you know, where was the middle ground that we could both be happy and comfortable with the rate that we were going at? Yeah, I I imagine. Let me ask you uh, from your husband's point of view, if you could explain a little bit, um, how was it for him now that you told us that he was thinking, okay, let's, let's put the brakes on this. How was it for him to have to be going through the same thing that you were going through emotionally um, and then still having to, you know, go out and work. And then, I mean, from, we all think we understand from mothers how, um, how just sensitive mothers are in a positive way and how caring they are for their children. And sometimes we neglect that fathers can, struggle emotionally as well when it comes to problems like this and one of the questions that that i was asked from someone uh, they told me can you ask her what it was like for her husband to go through this as well when we're not sometimes guys we're not so open to letting our feelings out um how was it for him if you can share a little bit of that with us Yeah, so that was, I actually sat down with him before we talked because I was like, I need, you know, your, like your honest perspective so that I can share it and that I can share it right and not like speak for you. (laughs) Yeah. So um, he shared with me just that the hardest thing for him was how helpless he felt because. He and most men, men love to fix things. Um, And especially, especially for somebody like their wife who they love so much, they want to be able to just fix it. If she's upset or something's hurting her, they want to be able to make it stop and fix it. And that's very much how my husband is. And he couldn't. Um, And so he he mentioned that there was kind of a vicious cycle between wanting a baby so badly and wanting my pain to stop so badly. And a conversation that we had a lot was he was like, I want to stop doing fertility treatments because I can see what it's doing to you. It's hard on your emotions and it's hard on your body and I hate seeing you in pain. But on the flip side... I was in so much emotional pain, not trying and not like actively pursuing getting another child that it was either I was in pain trying or I was in pain not trying. (laughs) And so um, he knew the only way for me and us to both stop being in pain 
was to find some sort of solution or answer or have a baby. And so um, he just, he hated watching everything that I had to go through. Um, I had multiple surgeries. Um, There was a lot of really icky stuff that I had to go through physically. Mm. And um, he just hated not being able to do anything. And so he said that was his biggest struggle as like being a man and the provider and feeling completely helpless and just watching me suffer. Um, that's, that's what he said hurt him the most. Let me tell you, I, I can relate 100% to him just feeling helpless. And, and when you said that, I it connected with me right away because that is how we think as guys, you know, we just want to go in and, and fix whatever's wrong. And unfortunately, of course, here wasn't so easy of a situation to come in and do that. Um, and also, I never thought about uh, what you said just now, that you were in pain um, if you couldn't get pregnant. And then he wanted it to stop. So it just adds more to how difficult it really was for you to to find a middle ground a solution to this because both of you were in pain but yours in order to be healed required that you got pregnant his yeah it it seems like it just didn't matter whether you get pregnant or not i just want to see you be 100 percent. so i can only imagine how difficult that was um so this this whole time you're dealing with this emotionally physically you and your husband talk about it um you know your family and friends know about it how did this affect or how did this make the task of racing a two three year old at this time any harder how did it make it more difficult how did that affect your relationship with your toddler at the time when you were trying to to get pregnant again um at the beginning um like when we had just had two miscarriages it it actually made it easier um because every moment that I had with her I was just in complete awe that you know um I would always would tell her like I'm like mommy made you from scratch like just looking at her and knowing that I grew her body and like she was literally made from scratch just like any baby is but that we were able to do it um and so she was just a huge miracle to us um Later on in the journey, when I was um, not doing well physically or emotionally, um, it did make being a mom really hard some days because I I didn't have the emotional energy to deal with the two-year-old tantrums or or whatever, and I had. Um, I didn't have any patience with her anymore because I felt like I was emotionally tapped out from doing all the other stuff I had to do. Yeah. Um, 
And that was that was kind of the time for me when I realized that my emotional state was affecting my relationships with my family. Um, that I decided that, you know, I needed to like find find balance and kind of get right with myself so that I was able to handle doing both. Mm. Okay. Let me ask you about your friends and family. So at the beginning, we talked about how some people keep this really in secret, really private. Um, did you struggle with that at all? Or right off the bat, you knew, okay, this is something I want to share with my family and friends. Uh, what kind of comments, what kind of feedback did you get from them? Um it was something right off the bat that I shared with everybody. It didn't even occur to me to like not tell anybody. Um, my very first miscarriage was like in the living room of my mom's cabin. And I mean, I laid basically on the living room floor bawling with each one of my siblings and my mom hugging me. And so I mean, they were all there for the very first one. And um, I continued to like and have continued to share with them. Um, Much later on when we were doing IVF and doing IUIs, I, um, I stopped sharing as much because there were there were certain well, actually, most of them really had a hard time supporting me, and and it was obvious in their tone and in their voice. And so, at that time, I kind of started withholding um, details or like when things were happening because it it hurt to hear their hesitation in their voice or like the lack of enthusiasm for things that they were hard, but I was excited they were happening because it meant progress. And um, so at the very beginning, they were all super, super supportive and awesome. But I mean, this went on for years and towards the end, they, you know, they absolutely loved me, but you could just hear in their voice and people would would make comments about how I should take a break or I should stop or um, I should stop being so aggressive with my treatments or things like that, which I know they said in love and support, but on my end, it did not feel like that. Yeah, I'm sure. What, what would you say to someone who's going through the same thing and is facing the same kind of response from their loved ones or their friends, what what did it take for you to get through this? I mean, was it only the feeling that you had, okay, I want to get pregnant, period? Did it become something that you were just obsessed to, to do it? Or uh, what was going on in like in your head as as you were hear those comments and then you still wanted to get pregnant. Um yeah, I would definitely say I was like slightly obsessed with finding an answer and like 
um, I don't think addiction is the right word, but it was almost that thing where you're like, no, I started this and I'm going to win. Like, yeah. I'm not stopping until I get what I want. <laughs> All right. And um, I would say my biggest advice would be to find a, a couple of people, one or two people, whether they are family or friends, um, that can support you and can listen to you and hear your worries, your complaints, your exciting moments. Um, Cause there's things that you think are exciting that sound weird to other people mm-hmm. what, that, that aren't like versed in fertility talk. Um, and so I had, and still do have a really good friend who we actually miscarried um, multiple times within the same month together. And mm. so we were kind of um, like our people for each other. Like that's who we called. Um, my husband was a huge support and somebody that I leaned on. And um, I would just say finding somebody that you can be totally unfiltered with. Okay. Um, Cause for me that really helped. And then um, I feel like, I feel like the next piece of advice, it's almost taboo, but it shouldn't be, but getting a therapist um, okay. after my third miscarriage, I, I got a therapist and it helped get me out of a really dark place. And then I, um, I got, another therapist after my fifth miscarriage um and i have consent continued to see her every week um after that so uh, and she has provided a lot of support for me good so now that you mentioned that therapy part uh it is it is a pretty taboo for some people um was it for you when you started it was it your idea that someone suggested how did you take that step to going to therapy when i know there's a lot of people who would hesitate right off the bat to do something like that yeah so for for the second time um because the first therapist i had was great but she could really only help me so much and then it wasn't productive anymore so I stopped going and that's the hard thing is finding um finding a therapist because it's not really something that you're like hey friend who's your favorite therapist (laughs) yeah um but I I actually was able um after a couple friends opened up to me about that they went to therapy I was able to like call those friends and um they made recommendations and so for me it was just realizing um, and it was something my sister said to me was that I didn't have to live underwater. And if anybody has experienced like depression or anxiety, um, you kind of have that feeling of like you're living, but you're underwater and everything's muffled and darker and everything seems way harder trying to move through water than it would be through air and a whole different um, world yeah and so 
I was like, yeah, I, um, I also couldn't sleep at night. I, I would have panic attacks trying to leave my house. Like it was really, it was really affecting my life. Like I, I couldn't do normal things anymore. And so that for me was obviously not okay. And I knew that I needed help getting back to my normal self. Wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just amazing to hear, honestly, everything that the one person goes through because of a pregnancy. And I know we, throughout this interview, we have said, well, after miscarriage, number three, number four, number two. And I I worry that we make it sound light because it's not. And I hope that people can really understand everything you're saying, everything, every other way in which not getting pregnant affected your whole life. Um, yeah. So it's it's really interesting to to hear that, and thanks for sharing. Um, when you and I spoke about a week ago about doing this interview, we talked a little bit about the the role the finances play on this whole thing, um, and you yeah. said it it played a pretty big role. Um, can you talk to us about that part of of, of this situation? Yeah. So I actually think um, sharing the rest of how our story went will help answer that question. And then I can go a little bit into it Perfect. after that, if that's all right with you. That's fine. So we left off after um, my second miscarriage and we started taking Primera and then we decided to do artificial insemination, um, which is referred to as an IUI. And, um, it's, that is not covered by most insurance and that will run you about $500 a month. Um, if you're just doing an IUI with no extra drugs. And so we, we did one of those and, um, I was convinced I was pregnant. I was late and I was nauseous and, um, I guess this is like a podcast. So sorry if this is TMI, but I, I got my period. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm just crazy. And I wanted a baby so bad that I like convinced myself I was pregnant. Oh wow! And so, um, I, I went back into the doctors and was like, it didn't work. And they decided, okay, I think it's finally time to do that exploratory surgery. We were going to do before your daughter and go in there and find out like what's happening to your body. And so um, I had to go to a pre-op appointment with, um, with the surgeon and he did an ultrasound and he looked at everything, took a lot of blood work um, to prepare for my surgery that was in about a week and he was like, okay, as long as everything looks good, we'll see you next week for surgery. Um, and then I got a call about a day or two later. And he was like, congratulations, you're pregnant. We don't need to do the surgery. Wow. And I was like, 
okay, wait, this doesn't make sense because the last time I could have gotten pregnant was during my IUI, which was like seven weeks ago. And you did an ultrasound yesterday and there was no baby. And he was like, you must be wrong on your dates. And I was like, no, go look at my chart. I promise I'm not wrong on my dates. There's no way I could have gotten pregnant and been like so soon along that there wouldn't have been anything on my ultrasound. Like, and I was bleeding and I'm so confused. Like none of this makes sense. And he's like, well, you're pregnant. And and he's like, you just, just don't worry too much about it. Like try not to like worry, come in, come in tomorrow and we'll run some more tests and see what's going on. And so he called me at about nine o'clock the same night, a couple hours later. And he was like, Hey, I just can't stop thinking about this. And there is something off and I don't know what it is yet, but, but I think you might be right, but I don't know. I don't know until, until I can see you and take more tests. Mm. Um, so I told my husband, I was like, Hey, like surprise, we're pregnant, but I don't know if we get to keep it. Um, so it was kind of very mixed bag of emotions. Um, so I was, I was like, I'm going to go into the clinic tomorrow morning and we'll, we'll see. So we went to bed and, um, forget what time we ended up waking up, but I think my husband woke up to his phone at about six o'clock and we, he had like seven missed calls from my doctor's home phone. I had seven missed calls from my doctor's home phone and he texted my husband twice and left a voicemail on my husband's phone. And this is at five in the morning. He left all these. So um, we're lucky that we have a doctor who like cared so much to be up thinking about it still. Mm -hmm. And he left a voicemail saying, don't eat or drink anything and like rush over to the clinic as soon as you can in the morning. So we got out of bed um, and we um, called called a lady in our neighborhood to come over and watch our daughter and we um, went to the clinic. They ran some tests and had me sit in the lobby for an hour until they got all the results back and um, he he pulled me into his office about an hour after running my blood work and he was like, Hey, so you are pregnant and it looks like it's an ectopic pregnancy, which means that the placenta and the baby were growing in my fallopian tube instead of my uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very dangerous and can be life threatening. And so mm. he was like, here's, here's the address for the hospital. I cleared my day. Um, get in your car right now and I'll, I'll meet you at the surgical suite in 10 minutes and we need to take you into surgery. Wow. And this was only what, um, a few weeks into the supposed pregnancy. Is it, is that how far Um, I think I was about seven and a half weeks. Okay. Um, but I, 
I had gotten what I thought was a period. And so I didn't, even though I swore I was pregnant and I peed on like 11 pregnancy tests, they were all negative. I swore I was pregnant. I started bleeding and assumed I was just crazy, but I was really pregnant the whole time. Um, so, so we, we rushed over to the hospital and he, um, he did a DNC because he found, um, some polyps and abnormalities in my uterus from my previous miscarriage. And then they removed the pregnancy from my fallopian tube. And then they also did a laparoscopy and found, um, two golf ball sized cysts and stage hmm. three endometriosis, wow. um, which is like an infertility condition or disease. And so um, my husband said it was actually like took them double the time than they had told him because they just kept finding things while they were taking care of the ectopic pregnancy. And I remember begging the doctor to like save my tube because we had had so many issues already. I didn't want to lose half of my, I mean, cause if you lose one tube, you lose access to one of your ovaries. Yeah. And so, um, he, he was able to save the tube and, um, the following days from that surgery, um, were, some of the most painful days I have ever had. Um, and re- recovering from it, it was just really, really hard. And we actually got in a fender bender going back to the clinic a couple days after my surgery, which mm-hmm. was a blessing in disguise because we got a pretty good settlement. We got like a $4,000 settlement. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> just from the insurance company saying, sorry, sorry, you got in a really bad fender bender right after surgery. And that money helped us pay for the ectopic pregnancy because that surgery cost us 6,000. So um, we were able to use the the car accident settlement to pay for the surgery, which, um, which was a blessing. Um, and then, anyway, so I, I actually kept getting positive pregnancy tests back from my doctor after they had already removed the pregnancy. And he says, he said it has never happened to him, but you can leave like a tiny micro fleck of placenta in the tube. And that and will show so, us positive. Yeah, because it continues to grow. It doesn't know to stop growing. So I still had an active growing placenta in my fallopian tube, which again is like really dangerous. And so um, they actually started me on uh, a certain chemotherapy injection. And so I started chemo probably a week after my surgery um, and I had to be monitored every 24 hours. And then on top of that, every time I had bad blood results in the morning. So I would like go to the clinic in the morning, get bad blood results. I'd have to go into the hospital. And then after the hospital, I'd have to go back to the clinic. So that'd be like three clinic hospital visits in one day. 
and mm. I had my, I had incisions in my stomach and I had my, I can't remember if she was eight, she was around 18 to two, 18 months or two years old. And so I was at that phase where I like had to carry her and. And how um, old were you at this time? It was, how old was I? Um, I would have been 24. Yeah. Yeah. Very um, yeah. So it was, it was very taxing physically and emotionally to be like going to that many appointments with doing chemo right after surgery and like taking my, wow. basically my baby everywhere with me because we didn't have family um, we don't have family here where we live. And, um, so, um, after doing that for a couple of weeks, my fallopian tube actually ended up rupturing at home. And so again, called my doctor, met him at the clinic, he confirmed. Um, and then we rushed over to the same hospital for me to go back into surgery for him to remove the fallopian tube. Um, and so within, I think it was within six weeks, I had two surgeries and a couple of weeks of chemo, which um, the little amount of chemo I did gave me so much sympathy for the people that have to do that for months and years because it made me really sick. Um, it hurt to eat. Um, I, I started, I didn't ever lose enough hair that anybody would notice, but like when you're showering, I would pull out chunks of hair and my stomach hurt and I had ulcers and, um, it, it made me sick. But, um, so that was a really, really hard two months um, with that pregnancy and that kind of left me or it did leave me pretty broken after that doing, doing an IUI and having it end so poorly. Um, so I ended up seeing my first therapist after that because I, I just had such a hard time recovering, um, from going through all of that. So and and I know that you had a or still do have a business where you made baby clothing. Um yes. Was this during that time already? Was this going on um during this yeah. same period of time? Yeah, so I was running I was running my business at the same time. Um which I'm not sure if I remember or not. I might have closed it down for a little bit and just like put put it on pause or or whatnot i'm i can't remember but i was running my business back was this then. something that you did from home is this where you made all all of the clothing yeah yeah so i i have my sewing room in my office just in the basement of our house here wow and we actually um yeah so that helped that helped with the finances of all of this um, so after that, we, we had to take a break because you can't get pregnant after chemo. Um, mm-hmm. and so we had like a forced three month break for me to just recover from everything. Um, and then when our break was over, 
our doctor was like, okay, um, you're like free to try again. And we actually got pregnant on our first try and we found out like the day after Christmas and I was saying it was a Christmas miracle and I like called my family and told them because I couldn't possibly believe that anything bad could happen after everything we had just gone through. Yeah. Um, and so we went in for our first ultrasound and everything looked good. And then I think possibly a second and it looked good. And my blood levels were, they weren't amazing, but they were rising. And so my, you know, they were at least rising. And then we went in for an ultrasound close to seven weeks and there was no heartbeat. So, um, ended up going back into surgery and getting a DNC with that miscarriage. Was this that, the last that was our one? Fourth. That was your fourth. That was our fourth. So after that, we continued to keep trying. Um, at this point, my, my husband and a lot of my family was kind of like, okay, maybe we should take a break. Like <laughs> I'd had two surgery or three surgeries and chemo and, um, you know, the, the DNC cost us about three grand and insurance didn't help with it. Um, and you know, um, three grand is a decent amount of money Yeah. when you're like just out of college. And I mean, they, they make you pay it on the spot. It's not like we'll bill you in 30 days. You have to pay for it right there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, um, that was a really tight month for us financially. I think we had like $50 in our bank account. Um, but you know, I, I needed a DNC, so it wasn't really like, an option. Um, and so we just continued to keep trying on our own. And I think after six months of trying on our own, we started doing IUIs again with gonal F, which is a like growth hormone injection, um, and some other injections and pills as well. And that ran us that ran us about like a thousand five hundred every month, um, and we did that for five months in a row. Oh, and um, we were kind of aiming for twins. I was missing a fallopian tube, so we could only get pregnant on like on one ovary, and so all of the drugs helped my one ovary work every single month as opposed to every other month. And so we would have some months where we would have like three to five eggs. Um, and we would do the IUI and I still wouldn't get pregnant. Um, there was one month where I was 10 days late and I still to this day feel like I, I maybe never got pregnant, but something was going on um, because we had three eggs that month. And I, I was very, very late, but it didn't end up sticking enough to, like, be, be a mm. pregnancy. Um, so after doing that five times, my doctor sat us down 
and was like, hey, like, you know, you guys have spent a lot of money and we're still like not really anywhere closer to you guys having a baby. And so I think that you guys should try IVF. And I think that one of the reasons why you're miscarrying is because there's something wrong with like the genetics of your embryos. And so he, um, he suggested this specific type of IVF. And I think that cost us, that cost us 25 grand. Wow. And um, so they called us, yeah, and we had spent about 15 grand the year before between like surgeries and fertility drugs and ultrasounds and all that stuff. So, so after spending 15 let, grand, he was like, it's going to be another 25. Yeah. Let me ask you something about that. So, I mean, on this podcast, it sounds, you know, easy to say, oh, it was another 25 grand. Um, yeah. How did that hit home when you heard that? Because, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk finances, because you go in emotionally just drained. And the last thing yeah. you want to hear really is money conversation, because you're there because you want to have a baby. But at the end of the day, you still have to sit and look at numbers and figure out how you're going to pay this. And I'm sure you kind of just wish like, you know, why can't we do this later? Why can't? you know, this whole thing be free or, I mean, you, sometimes when we're dealing with emotional stuff, we want to separate money from emotion. Um, but in this case you had to deal with both. And so did your husband. Um, how was that a conversation on the way home? I mean, how did you feel about the 25 grand? How did you process that? Tell us a little bit about that. So for my husband, he, he was kind of like, okay, I think enough is enough. Like we have to draw a line somewhere. I think we need to just like take a break and start trying on our own. Um, and I was kind of the opposite. I'm like, money shouldn't stop us from having a baby. It like, it made me so angry that really the only thing stopping us from continuing our fertility journey was our bank account. Um, and, and hearing, hearing what some people spend money on and I'm like, Oh, you just bought a new BMW. I'm like, you could have paid for my IVF. Or like, (laughs) like I started to take things not personally, but like finance, finances started to make me, um, kind of bitter because it's, I mean, it's just money. And there's some people that have so much of it. And, um, obviously like those people work for their money and it's their money, but it was so hard for me to know that like, you know, if we had have been in a different financial situation, it wouldn't have been a thought. It wouldn't be making us take a break. And so, um, so we took a break and, um, we just put our heads down, worked hard. Um, you mentioned my, my shop, um, at the time, the golden polka dot. And I, 
I started doing fertility sales and I reached out to a lot of other business owners and asked if they would post about my sale on Instagram. And, um, and we, we briefly started to go fund me. Um, and we were able to raise $2,000, but we, we felt like it was our responsibility to come up with the money on our own. And so we ended up closing that and, um, <clears throat> so as, and just as, working hard. Um, when you, when you start doing these things to raise money, sometimes as guys and when we're actually, uh, when the guy's a provider, for example, like we talked in the beginning, in this case, your husband was, um, we kind of want to feel that what we accomplish is through our work, through our, our means. Um, was your husband supportive of all this or was it kind of your idea to, okay, I'm going to do this to get the money because I'm doing it regardless. Or was it, was he part of this as well? The GoFundMe and all these other things you were doing. Um, for me, working hard and like doing the sales and stuff, he was very supportive. He was in the basement. He was in our basement sewing bows. He was ironing fabric, um, packaging stuff, making runs to the post office. He was super, super supportive with my shop and helping us like hustle for the money. Um, it was kind of my idea to do the GoFundMe. We both felt a little uneasy about it, and he definitely didn't like the idea of the GoFundMe, and so we ended up closing that after, I think, like a week or two. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so the GoFundMe, not so much, but as far as, like, me working hard for the money, he was as supportive as he could like anybody could have been. Yeah. Okay. Um, last couple questions that I have ran down here. So I started this podcast because I thought, well, I like to talk and I love to hear inspiring stories from people. So I'm going to do a podcast. As I listen to your story and all of the details you share, I'm speechless. I, I don't know what to say because you went through so much and it's hard to find the right words to tell someone who's been through that, which brings me to my next question. When someone is going through a difficult time like that, what's the best way to help them? I mean, does the whole, oh, don't worry about it, it's going to be better eventually, or, you know, there's a lesson here you need to learn. Do those things really help, or would you suggest a better way to approach uh, the people who are struggling with this? Um, those two examples I would say are like no nos. <laughs> um and and that is the hard thing is so many people have well intentioned comments or letters or words or scriptures to give you. Um but most of them made me feel um like it belittled the pain that I was in. Um, my sister would always tell me that, you know, it was going to be in God's timing and that I just need to be patient and just like sit back and wait. And for me, I felt like, um, you know, God does 
have his timing and he does bless us, but he also expects us to do our part. And so I felt like I needed to do my part in order to like receive those blessings from God. I couldn't just sit around and hope they were going to come. Um, and so I feel like, and every, every woman is going to deal with how, like my journey, everybody's going to deal so differently with. And, and that's the thing is, even though I've gone through this, I have friends that reach out to me about having a miscarriage and I, I still feel like I'm walking a little bit on eggshells just because everybody's personality is so different. But I would Mm -hmm. say most people just really want to feel heard and supported and, and they don't need advice essentially. Um, cause there really is no advice that makes it, makes the pain go away. And so I love just putting together like a thoughtful gift, um, I have a quote that I will print out for people who have had miscarriages that talks about how um, every tear that we have on earth is going to be blessed a thousandfold in heaven. Hmm. Um, Just recognizing that their pain is real, but that, that, like their pain and their tears here on earth are being accounted for. Um, that is a quote that got me through a lot of hard days. And so um, it obviously depends on like if people believe in heaven or afterlife or whatever, but um, that quote really helped me. But I think just offering um, meals, babysitting if they have other kids so that they can have a moment alone um, you know, some days I wanted to hold May as close as possible and other days I felt like I needed to be alone to process my feelings. And so I feel like, um, just meals and like asking them how they are and letting them talk to you and not necessarily giving them like advice or like cheesy like everything happens for a reason like you'll be fine um because we we already kind of know those things but it it doesn't make the pain go away so i think just acknowledging that it is painful and it is hard and that you love them and listen to them talk and cry and take them a thoughtful gift and a meal and, and check up on them, um, continually. That, that was the thing that, that hit home the most with me was usually I had about 10, 20, 30 people reaching out within the first 48 hours. Um, and within that first 48 hours, you're like devastated, but you're also in shock. And I always feel like at the two week mark, I would reprocess everything and be a complete mess again. And Mm -hmm. there would not really be anybody, not very many people around because to them it happened two weeks ago. Yeah. To them, they Um, did their part and, and moved on. Yeah. So that's something that I try to like take note of. Like if a friend has a miscarriage or loses a baby, I'll like write in my planner two weeks later to reach out to them because 
most likely it's hitting them all over again. And, Mm. um, and they're not having very many people reach out for support because people forget and move on with their lives, which is completely understandable. But, um, Mm. it's hard to have so much attention all at once and then none when you almost need it the most. That's really interesting. And, I'm really glad I asked that question because I'm one of those that I'm terrible um, at approaching people (laughs) when they're going through a hard situation because I never know what to say. And, you know, I hate saying the, the cliches and all the cheesy stuff. I know what you're going through or all those kinds of things. Um, But what you said, it's not only is it really thoughtful, but, it's it's a really good way to comfort people that are struggling. Uh, what you said about, you know, put it on your planner two weeks later when they're alone again and now everybody's gone. Um, that's probably when we can come in and do the most help and be of most service. Yeah. Good. Okay, um, two more questions before we, we end this conversation. Um, first one. So for five years, seems like um, it was a lot of pain and stress and all kinds of emotional roller coasters and physical as well. Um, but now you're pregnant again, and yes, you're am. close to being due, aren't you? It's a couple months now. I oh no, I'm due in uh, two and a half weeks. Oh wow. Yeah, closer than I thought, two and so, a half weeks. Yeah. How was it then when you heard the news that you were pregnant and you got through the whole first trimester and you pretty much knew that that this one was going to happen? Um, well, so many mixed feelings because we got pregnant the first round of IVF and with a little girl and we ended up miscarrying her. And so when I got pregnant again, um, it was, I I don't know, it was, it was exciting, but there was just so much pain and anxiety. Um, They watched me so, so closely. I was in the doctor's office every 48 hours for the first couple weeks and then every week until I got out of my first trimester and I'm, I have... I had three specialists at the time Um, and I had to do plasma infusions and fertility drugs and injections to try and keep the baby. And so um, every, every pain or anything, I, it would like take my breath away because it would just remind me that like how precious, that life was and that, you know, we didn't know if we didn't know if he was going to make it, um, because of all the issues I had. And so, um, it probably took until I was like past 30 weeks for me to stop having, um, anxiety and nightmares. And I was so happy and excited, but also so afraid to be so happy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, now we're like two weeks away and, um, you know, I was talking to my husband and just saying like, even, 
even just what we've gone through in the last nine months, um, we spent, we spent three to five grand every month for the first half of this pregnancy, just trying to keep the baby alive. And, um, just that like we survived, like just looking back over the last couple of years of everything that we've gone through. And like, it's almost here. Like I'm sitting in his nursery right now and, um, He's like, we could meet him any day now, which is, I mean, sometimes it's almost hard for me to believe. And I've never been so anxious to meet somebody in my life because we, I mean, we literally dedicated every extra penny ounce of physical, emotional energy. um, And we've had we've had a whole community rooting this baby on for years before he was even in existence. And now, and now he's almost here and it's, it's almost hard to believe. Like I, I just dream about meeting him every night now and knowing that, that like we made it. Yeah. It's kind of unreal. Do you have a name for the baby already? Okay, well, this is really funny because I think you're going to like his name. <laughs> okay. What is... Um, As of right now, his name is Leo. Nice. That's a good name. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good name. I know. I thought that was so funny when you reached out to me because I was like, oh, gosh, they have the same name. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Well, I'll have to get a nice gift for, for Leo then. If he keeps that name. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been Leo for a little bit. I I have like, I have such a hard time naming them before they come. So it always takes me a little bit once they get here to like commit to it. But uh, it's Leo for now. So we're really excited to meet him. Well, Leo's a good name. So it's... It's it a good is. One to keep. <laughs> I really like it. Yeah. Um, last question, just to hear your final thoughts. After this whole situation, this whole experience, um, the title, the name of this podcast will be Don't Live Stuck. Um, and I haven't published all the other episodes I have simply because I wanted yours to be the first one. Because I knew this story would just be amazing, and I'm glad I wasn't wrong. Um, so with that title being Don't Live Stuck and everything you did, how would you say that you grew as a person and then your marriage? How are you stronger? How did you grow from all this? Um, what What are some things that you would say benefited you from this whole experience? Oh man. Um, see, that question gets me emotional because, um, you know, a it's been a very long journey, um, but you know, I'm I'm 26 now, which is still still re- really young, and most most people 
Um, I know there's so many people that go through very, very hard things at, at young ages, but there's also a lot of people who don't. Um, and so I kind of feel like I've lived more life than my age gives me credit for. Yeah. Um, because it has changed me and my husband so much. And, you know, I had a lot of dark days personally, and our marriage struggled um, during different phases. Some miscarriages brought us closer together, but there was a couple miscarriages that really pulled us in opposite directions. And I, I wondered um, mm-hmm. but now being where we're at, both me and my husband are so much stronger and our marriage is so much stronger because we went through, I mean, we really went through hell together. Yeah. Um, and that, that's something that if you let it can bring you strength and closer if you don't let it tear you down. And um, it's something that you have to make the decision that it's going to make you stronger, because if you if you don't, it can very easily tear you down. Um, it it takes work to take all of that pain and trial and turn it into something positive, and so. Um, something that I feel like I've gained as a person is a having a very different perspective than I did two or three years ago, five years ago, for sure, just on um, what happiness is and the blessings that we have in life and, um, also being able to um, relate to other women and relate to other people that are struggling and and their struggle doesn't have to be the same as mine but just understanding how deep those pains can be and how how much trials affect your life and being able to be empathetic and be there for people during those trials and that's not something that I would have been able to do if if I hadn't have had this trial and I had have just been happily married with my one kid and like not had issues. I would have I wouldn't have known that pain to be able to reach out to other people and understand the depth of that hurt and trauma that people can go through. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I couldn't have learned any other way. And, um, we have, we have a different, um, perspective on life and time and money now, because we realize how big of a blessing our daughter is and how big of a blessing he's going to be. And, it just, it makes all of those little things that we spend so much time worrying on sometimes seem so insignificant. Mm-hmm. And we we just feel like we have a bigger purpose 
and we want to live a life of purpose and continue to help other people. And um, our biggest dream is starting a fertility foundation for adoption and infertility for families so that they can grow. Mm. And that's, that's our major drive right now. And it's not going to be anytime soon, but that's going to be um, the legacy we want to leave behind. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's, it's just inspiring um, to hear your story. And when I told you at the beginning that I know sometimes people keep this very private, um, my wife and I are actually one of those. We had a miscarriage after her first son. And uh, she had just told people that she was pregnant and we were all happy. And then uh, the miscarriage happened. And we've had two daughters since. But, I mean, even now, uh, even up to our last daughter, she didn't want to tell anyone till she was, like, well past her first trimester uh, because it left her, you know, um, so hurt. And hearing you go through it over and over and over again in so much deeper level than what we experience, it's just amazing to see how you overcame that and also your husband and your daughter who without knowing what was going on, uh, experienced it, positive and negative, uh, both, like you mentioned. So I just want to thank you for sharing your story. I'm sure people will benefit from it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share it.